Welcome to this audio recording by the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Jim Falk, President of the Council. We are a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to promoting public awareness of global issues and the ways in which they affect the Dallas-Fort Worth region. Become a member today at dfwworld.org and help us connect North Texas with the world. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of Haynes & Boone, LLP. We hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Jim Falk, President of the World Affairs Council, and this indeed is a very special presentation. We are, are so grateful to His Excellency Saeed Jawad for being here, the Ambassador of Afghanistan, of course, United States, and he said, indeed, this is the second time that I've been to the World Affairs Council, and that is a good sign of the fact that you made a strong impression when you were here a few years ago, and we're so grateful for you coming back. <clears throat> I'm also pleased to welcome Terry Neese. Terry, if you would please stand up. Terry is the founder and CEO of our partner this evening, the Institute for the Economic Empowerment of Women. Terry is here overseeing a wonderful project, the 2010 Peace Through Business Exchange Program, which educates about how many women are here from Rwanda and Afghanistan? Eight women from Afghanistan and 17 from Rwanda. They have been here for a few months working with entrepreneurs all over the United States. And uh, the ambassador is here for their graduation, which takes place tomorrow night at the AT&T Performing Arts Center, Holly Reed. Let's give Terry Ritney's I do encourage you to go to the website, which is ieew.org, to learn more about the Institute for the Economic Empowerment of Women. Also, I know you're going to enjoy tonight's program, so please tell your friends that thanks to Haynes and Boone, they can go and go onto our website and listen to the podcast. Ambassador Saeed Jawad's job, or at least one of them, is to help Americans understand what makes Afghanistan tick. He has to explain to some, uh, he has some tough issues to explain. Corruption, drug trafficking, growing Taliban influence, and the slow pace of the progress with the war. Like me, when I had to ca uh, commute to Afghanistan from Panama, Ambassador Jawad also has a tough commute. He is ambassador not only for the United States, but also for Brazil, Colombia, Argentina, and Mexico. He speaks fluent English, French, and German. In Kabul, he has served as President Hamid Karzai's press secretary, chief of staff, and director of the Office of International Relations. I am absolutely certain the two of us met in Kabul, but he doesn't remember it. It's okay. He met about 1,000 journalists at least, maybe 2,000 while we were there. He completed undergraduate studies at Kabul University and later in Munster, Germany, and I'm not going to even try to pronounce the name of the university. Um, he earned his MBA from Golden State University in San Francisco and subsequently worked for a number of prominent law firms in the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, His Excellency, Ambassador Saeed Tayyib Jawad. Thank you, by the way. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Robertson. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's a great pleasure and honor being back here uh, and to talk about Afghanistan. I'm, I'm very much grateful. There must be some brave soul here at, at the World Affairs Council to invite me back after being here last year. But I'm very much grateful to Mr. Chairman for your leadership 
uh, Mr. Falk, Mr. President, and many other friends. Uh, and it's great to have also Tyrannese with us, a great friend of Afghanistan. But also among the audience, I have um, an Afghan, a very devoted Afghan for the cause of education in Afghanistan, Mrs. Sakina Yakubi. She's sitting back there. She's, she's truly a legend. <laughs> She is truly a legend in Afghanistan. She operated schools under the Taliban by herself. And today, there's no school in Afghanistan that you go and you don't you know that hear the name of Sakina Yakubi. He's a trainer and uh, someone who has really contributed. But back to our uh, subject. So it's, um, it's soccer time, as you know. So I'm going to be talking about soccer tonight. So forget about Afghanistan. That's a tough issue. So I make it. But uh, the reason I mentioned soccer is that uh, when I came here first as ambassador, they, they told me that uh, ambassador's remarks are like the national anthem before the baseball game. I said, well, that's a, that's, a, that's a great big deal because soccer is important in the United States and national anthem is important any, anywhere. Then I realized that really no one comes to the soccer game to listen to the national anthem. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and the only time that they remember uh, the national anthem if, if, the, if they screw it up big time, then they will remember. <laughs> so I know that you're here for dinner, but also thank you very much for your interest to Afghanistan, truly, <laughs> and being here and supporting Afghanistan. It's, uh, tonight um, I will speak about the security in Afghanistan. Uh, give you an update of security of Afghanistan. We will talk about our preparation for the uh, military operation in Kandahar. As you know, that's a big time in the news right now. And uh, peace and reconciliation, uh, Jarga, that took place in Kabul. I will talk about that briefly, give you an, an overview. Uh, why Afghanistan still matters nine years or eight years after the military operation started in Afghanistan. Governance and an important issue both for us, our partners, and your soldiers who are fighting in Afghanistan. And uh, if time allows, I'll talk about the new uh, mining wealth in Afghanistan that was mostly due to the USGS geological survey that was conducted in the past uh, three or four years. And uh, we talk about women's rights and women's accomplishment in Afghanistan. I would rather have more time for our dialogue and will be brief on my introductory remarks. Uh, a lot of you have traveled to Afghanistan, have been uh, keeping in touch with the news and, and, and development in Afghanistan, but just to give you a quick overview, Afghanistan is the size of the state of Texas, almost. Uh, and then its population is about 26 to 30 million. It differs. We didn't have a census uh, recently since the war started, basically. And uh, an old country, really on the crossroad of civilizations and invasions in Central Asia. It's 5,000 years of history. Uh, some of you of Texas may have seen actually the collection of the Bactrian gold that we brought here that showed the, the wealth and the, the depth of the history of Afghanistan. The country is truly a mosaic of different cultures, civilizations, and influences because the trade route from China to Greece and from India all the way to Siberia crossed through Afghanistan. And all of them have left an, an, an imprint in the Afghan psyche, in the Afghan culture, in the Afghan history, in the Afghan politics. So as I mentioned, Afghanistan is a crossroad of civilization, civilization, civilizations and invasions. Uh, we'll talk briefly about the security situation in Afghanistan. This is a picture of the Afghan commandos that are fighting alongside your troops, actually, in Afghanistan. There are very few military operations conducted now in Afghanistan where the Afghan National Army is not present. <clears throat> security 
frankly speaking, is still fragile in Afghanistan. We have seen a dramatic increase of suicide attacks and IEDs in Afghanistan in the past three years. That number is still increasing. I'll show you on a slide how, how this number and the percentage have increased. And in addition to the, to the enemy becoming a lot more uh, brutal, uh, the capacity of the Afghan government to deliver services and to provide protection to its citizens is still limited due to the lack of resources, due to lack of human capital, and many other challenges because of the three years of war. Considering the level of the threat that exists in Afghanistan, we do not have enough number of troops, both Afghan and international, on the ground to confront the security threat that exists in Afghanistan. <clears throat> Those, we have 41 countries uh, involved in Afghanistan. The 41 countries have troops in Afghanistan. More than 61 countries are supporting the operation in Afghanistan financially or military. And as you can imagine, these 41 countries are coming to Afghanistan with different degrees of commitment, capacities, and uh, resources. It's very hard for us, for, especially for our lead ally, United States, to bring about a real coordination between all these different degrees of commitment and capabilities that the partners are bringing. But their presence is an important uh, political asset for all of us. Military-wise, it really does not make a huge difference, presence of especially some of them. Um, the reason that we are still facing the terrorist threats in Afghanistan after eight years after the starting of the military operation in Afghanistan is also that the terrorist sanctuaries in in across the border from Afghanistan and Pakistan still remained unchallenged up to very recently. The, the, while the military operations are conducted, the Taliban and others have the opportunity to go back and retreat in, 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 in uh, Pakistan and come back. So the financial, logistical, and ideological support for the military and militant group is still available. But there is change in attitude of, in the government of Pakistan. And as you know, there is more frankness on the, on, on the part of the US and UK and other to confront this, to make Pakistan understand that, that it's, it's extremism it's, that's their enemy, not India necessarily anymore. But there will be a long way to go because the way the psyche of the country is set forth, they consider India is the main threat and extremism is, a, is an ally, basically. <clears throat> so we saw a trend of, of Talibanization of Pakistan in the past eight years. Alongside with that, we do also see a trend of Pakistanization of Al-Qaeda. More and more Al-Qaeda operatives, more and more Al-Qaeda leaders are actually now Pakistanis or Pakistan-based, contrary to the beginning where most exclusively all of the leaders were Arabs, basically. So that these two trends have made the matter more complicated for Afghanistan. But still, we do hear about the violence in Afghanistan. We do hear about the, uh, the terrorist attacks. But keep in mind that 75% of the violence takes place in 10% of uh, Afghanistan. I just came back two weeks ago. Uh, from a vacation in Afghanistan with my wife and my son. He was off from college, so we went to Bamiyan. It's a beautiful province in, in central Afghanistan. This, this a Japanese lady built a beautiful hotel, four-star, almost four-star hotels. So we spent one of our best vacations, actually, with my wife and my son. No security threat. We drove uh, many places. We went to Bandi Amir and other places. You've probably seen the picture in the slideshow before of Bandi Amir, a beautiful, the first national park of Afghanistan that we have established with, with your assistance. And... Uh, and comparing to the pre-surge uh, in Iraq, uh, the level of the, of the, of the 
violence in Afghanistan is 400% less. Um, but here, the, the, this will give you an, an idea that what we are facing is, is a lot more actually IDs uh, in, in roadside bombing that, uh, that creates a, a lot of sense of fear and uncertainty in big cities. IEDs use have increased by 260% in 2009. 2010, it's harder to get a lot of these information about the use of IEDs are classified. It's, it's not easy to reveal or provide the information, but it's that trend you will see later continue to be upward. The incident of, of usage of ID increased. Uh, the number of the Afghan, the average uh, three police officers in Afghanistan are dying every day defending Afghanistan. A very high percentage, very high number. Uh, so is the Afghan army who is, as I mentioned, fighting alongside your forces, but also <coughs> your soldiers are dying in Afghanistan. And, and I know that's, an, that's a political, it's an emotional issue for, for many of you. And you may have different opinions about that. But let me make one point clear. Regardless of, of, of what your position is on the need to send more troops or less troops to Afghanistan, those who are fighting in Afghanistan are real heroes. These are young men who have been sometimes hardly out of their own state. They go to Afghanistan, they get injured. Sometimes I go and visit them in, in, in Walter Reed Hospital. They, they lost both limbs. Sometimes, I actually recently we met someone who lost four limbs, in, but, but it's just a miracle of today's uh, medical science that they survive. Can you imagine someone with four limbs in a remote area in Afghanistan, but still they are preventing the bleeding and others, and he survived. So I, he, he met both limbs, and he come in, he's, he's there, and he's telling me that I can't wait to go back. I was the gunner in my platoon, and I want to be with the, my friends. So those guys are really putting their lives online so Afghanistan, the region, and the world will be a safer place. Without their sacrifices, it will be hard to imagine the safety, security, and prosperity that exists everywhere, especially here in the United States. So I do appreciate very much what they are doing for us as a human being and for us as Afghans. Um, <clears throat> this, is, this shows the trend of the usage of IEDs in Afghanistan. As you can see, in 2002, it was almost close to zero, that, but that have increased significantly. <clears throat> the pattern of the attacks, if you look at different parts of Afghanistan, most of the uh, terrorist activities takes place in eastern and southern Afghanistan. For instance, uh, capital of Afghanistan, a, a, with the exception of, 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 uh, of uh, ID attacks on the roadside in Kabul, is a lot more uh, calm and quiet. And in central Afghanistan, it's is very peaceful. That, um, so what we are doing about it to, 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 to re reverse this trend? We are building our, our security forces in Afghanistan. The Afghan National Security, uh, the Afghan National Army has a strength of 112,000. And um, that number is totally on target. We were supposed to be close to 120 by October of this year. So we, we, are, we are actually ahead of the schedule on training the Afghan National Army. And um, uh, what we do actually need uh, 260,000 um, soldiers and, and 150,000 police force. 
the reason that that's been so delayed and unfortunately still NATO US soldiers are dying that there was a lot of underinvestment on building the capacity of the Afghan security forces. Afghanistan is a bigger country than Iraq, it has more complicated geography and has more uh, complicated uh, neighbors, but still when, when the operation started, they set forth the level of the, the, the number of the Afghan security forces to 70,000. Now this has been increased to 400,000, but we do face challenges on, on, on bringing, actually producing these kind of number on time. International forces uh, is about 120,000 uh, soldiers uh, from 50 or 41 countries, the largest, of course, and, and the most important one, uh, American soldiers. Um, on the issue of increasing the number of the soldiers, uh, again, the quality of the troops relates to the quantity. So if you have better trained, well-equipped NATO troops that are not constrained by national caveats and others and go out and fight like the American soldiers who are doing it, then you don't need so much troops. So it's not always that says we do need an, a significant number of troops or, or less or more. No, we need troops that are mobile. We need troops that are agile. We need troops that are ready to go out and fight. And that's not the case, as I mentioned, especially with some of our partners who are coming from Europe. They have they put a lot of constraint on themselves, on where to operate, after what hours, on what day of the week, and others. And as you can imagine, the terrorists are not obeying on, on these rules. Uh, <coughs> um, I, I will speak about uh, Kandahar, and, and, and I hope it's not too, too technical, but that's something that's coming up a lot on, on the news. So uh, preparation is underway for, for, for the military uh, process to start in Kandahar. Well, why Kandahar is important? Because Kandahar is the capital of the Afghan world monarchies. If you look at the history of the region, Afghanistan have ruled some part, part of India, part of Persia, part of Iran, and, and vice versa. Sometimes Afghanistan was reduced to a smaller country. So the, the political uh, boundaries was very fluid. But a lot of the recent important uh, monarchies that were established in Afghanistan, especially in the, in the, in the last uh, 900, year, uh, 900, uh, uh, 900 uh, years, they were based in Kandahar. So it's a center of the aristocracy and the center of power in, in Afghanistan. Both, it's the second largest city in Afghanistan. Population is about less than half a million if you consider the surrounding area. The city itself is 250 thousand, but it's now that really the surrounding area, which was an agricultural area, it's merging with the, with the population centers in the city. And it's also, it's been a major agricultural center and trading hub, uh, produces some of the best pomegranate in the world, also grapes of, of Kandahar were known actually, even in the, in the poetry and in others. Uh, and and it's, it's very close to Pakistan, as you can see, I've circled it on the map, uh, we are, it's a short distance from Spinbuldak and across the border from Pakistan, that part of the Pakistan that Kandahar borders is the uh, state of Baluchistan, which is facing its own challenges in, in the region. Uh, in order to stabilize Kandahar, um, there were talks about um, uh, in the beginning of the military offensive, that word was used. In, in Kandahar, there is, there is no D-Day that, 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 that troops will, will start rolling like uh, down the Normandy shores and, and uh, 200,000 soldiers will, will, will unroll. No, it's, 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 a it's, it's a city, populated city, with very complicated ethnic uh, structure, and a lot of the Taliban's actually are operating within the city. The city is not secure. That's, there's no doubt about that. People are afraid of sending their children to school. Teachers are afraid to go to teach. And, and, and a lot of assassination are taking place, uh, especially of those elements who, who either 
confront the Taliban on, on, on religious basis and saying this is wrong, that you're killing people, or those who, who are sympathizing with the government, both a number of, of very prominent uh, clergies who are opposing violence in Kandahar has been unfortunately killed by the Taliban. Um, so the, the, the way the operation will Kandahar sh take shape in Kandahar is really a process of, uh, of uh, both combination of military operations to stabilize the city, to get rid of some of the bad guys within the city, but also to improve the quality of the governance, improve the quality of the uh, local government to deliver better services to, to serve the Afghan people in a more effective way. And um, the military operation, the way it's conducted, it is usually by the Afghans, supported by, especially within the city, uh, supported by, by U.S. and, and other troops. Um, we are trying also uh, extensively to get the community involved through the community councils or so-called shoras. We had uh, two of them, two large ones, both of them attended by the president in the past. There's one coming up soon. On, on the two larger shoras that took place, both President Karzai and General McChrystal attended that together. And, and President Karzai delivered a powerful speech recently actually to mobilize the community against the Taliban and against the, uh, to make sure that they do come in. Uh, one, one important anecdote that they, he used, uh, and on that speech, he, he is recently Taliban have killed actually in one of our officials when he was, um, when he was praying in the mosque. Uh, uh, so President on his speech said that, what kind of, what kind of Islam is this when, 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 when you kill someone who is praying in the mosque? Uh, is this, is this what, what, what the religion is teaching? Is this what, what being an Afghan, being a Kandahari is about? But more importantly, what he says is, it's, what kind of people are you that are allowing this? If the, if the enemy is brutal, if the Taliban are killing uh, that clergy in the mosque, but why, why you are not taking charge? How long are you going to be afraid? So he, it was a, it was a very powerful speech, uh, and he, uh, McChrystal also attended that, that, that meeting trying to get also the people involved and mobilized to take stand against Taliban. That's also part of, so the, the way the military operation is, 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 will be conducted is, is, is traditional counterinsurgency, shaping clear, basically figuring out who is a positive force in Kandahar, who is a negative force, how is the quality of the governance, and then clear the bad guys from Kandahar. Uh, for this, as I mentioned, sequence is important. In certain areas, you have to take tough military action in other areas. You have to persuade them. You have to bring them into the political fold. But the most important part and the difficult part on, in counterinsurgency is to hold it. It's not that difficult to get rid of bad guys in, in, a, in a locality. Hold is the most challenging part of the job. For that, you need to make sure that you provide a better alternative for the people, that the police is really protecting the people, that the court is serving the interests of people, that, that, that the school is open, and uh, the clinic is operating when you are in charge. Uh, and uh, the build part is, of course, you cannot sustain peace unless you start the development part of it. But you cannot start major development projects unless you do have the shape in clear and hold first in place. Um, quick, uh, a few words about the peace jerga. Well, uh, looks like we are running out of time. Uh, he, as you, uh, you know, about a month ago, President Karzai uh, called about 1,400 uh, people in Kabul that was consisting of 14 different categories, tribal leaders, uh, representative of women groups, uh, uh, intellectuals, uh, um, uh, clergies, Afghan refugees living in Pakistan and in Iran. So 14 different categories. People were invited. 
to talk about peace. Uh, some, there was some confusion in the media that the Taliban were invited, the Taliban didn't come. No, no, the they, they intention was to build a strong national consensus of this idea. So to what, ex what is the compromises that we should be making? What is the extent of the compromises that we need to do? That 20% uh, of the delegates were women, and as you know, as you know women at the beginning had a lot of doubt about this peace process because they're very much afraid of the return of the dark days of the Taliban. So they made their voice known. They spoke very clearly and they said, we, we don't want to have to see Afghanistan compromising on the basics of the human rights, women's rights, and constitution. And that was clearly heard in the, in the, in the jirga. That, that peace jirga came up with a resolution and appointed a committee to engage the Taliban. But I will talk, if needed later, I'll talk about you, if, if there's interest about who are the Taliban and how to engage them. I don't think we have much time for that, but that will be a, a question for Q&A to, to really talk about it. Who is the enemy and what should we do about it? How to engage them? <coughs> um, quickly on, on the issue of the governance, we, we hear about reports of the, of, of, of the corruptions and others in Afghanistan. We, are, we have made a lot of progress in building institutions in Afghanistan. It's what we hear, corruption, it's, it's not a cause of bad governance, it's a symptom of bad governance. What we have in Afghanistan is, is first, in many areas, is absence of governance. There, there is no government. There is no one, actually, to deliver services to provide protection to the people, except for the brutality of the Taliban in certain parts. The court system is not there. There is no judge. There is absolutely. So a part of the governance issue in Afghanistan is, is absence of governance. And we are building these institutions. We are, we are trying to, to, to make the court more effective and functional, building schools and clinics, a lot of it with your assistance. Uh, the other, in, in the absence of governance is either lack of our capabilities to be present or fighting, active fighting. Uh, the, the, the school is being built, but the Taliban came in and, and behead the teacher. So... The school is empty for a while. Parents are, are worried to send their children. That's an example of state institutions not functioning. Same thing with, 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 with court system and other. And weak governance is, is because of the shortage of human capital in Afghanistan. That's why initiative like the one that Tyrannesis is undertaking to build human capital in Afghanistan is so crucial. We do need a lot more Afghans to take charge of the country. One of the biggest challenges that we face in Afghanistan is shortage of qualified people to run projects, especially that shortage is evident in the government because the government pay very little. Um, so, but still, despite all these challenges I mentioned, we have one of the best cabinet in the history of Afghanistan. Some of, some of our ministers and, 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 and your colleagues in the Washington and I, I've, I've seen them interacting with, with countries in the, in, in the neighborhood. They're, they're, they're the best that could be produced. Some of it has to do with a with the number of the Afghan who have received education abroad and other who have gone back, you know, helping with the political process in Afghanistan. Um, we are reaching to the areas of Afghanistan that the government never existed, that, that no in institution, clinics, or schools, or court system was ever operational, that, for, that these places are actually, we are reaching out there. Um, we are trying more and more to use the prevention reconstruction teams in and building more capacity of the Afghan government instead of doing humanitarian assistance. So I will uh, skip these because just to give you a quick overview of, of the accomplishment, 7.1 million Afghan children are going to back to school, and 37% are girls. That's a significant progress. We had 900,000 students under the Taliban, mostly boys. 
and um, uh, number of the teachers that are, are, are teaching in Afghanistan have increased by 700%. Sakina Yakubi and many others are working to improve their quality. The number have increased, but a lot of them are not very qualified. But it's hard. We, we don't have uh, uh, a lot of women who have completed high school, actually, to hire them as teachers. And, and people will not send their, their girls to school unless they are women teachers. Um, close to 5,000 new schools are being built, 4,500, just with your assistance, with U.S. assistance. That number is almost triple with you, when you count our resources and, and our friends in Europe. Um, and uh, the number of the students from 4,000 under the Taliban have increased to 89,000 right now, Kabul universities and 17 other privately owned universities. In the agriculture and uh, industry, there's been significant progress. Uh, the, uh, the, the mining uh, is one area that I will talk in more detail. This is uh, quickly show you the areas in red was where there was no, absolutely no uh, health care available. Vice versa, I'm sorry, that the area in white was, uh, that, that uh, the area, that the number that are underneath that tables are wrong. So the, the 2003 in the white, you could see uh, the availability, the lack of availability of, of uh, the availability of health care in, in the 2008, you see how this is, Increase, but again, it's it's basic healthcare. On the mineral wealth, um, uh, major news. Um, of course, the the their estimated value of the of the minerals in Afghanistan is close to one trillion. It shows that if you continue to help Afghanistan, if you invest in building the capacity of the country, the country will sustain sustain itself easily. Uh, just some of the minerals, such as lithium, iron, copper, gold, and cobalt, are very much in demand. We hope that the more U.S. company consider investing in Afghanistan, you are our close ally and our preferences as to our NATO partners. But chances are that the countries in the region, especially India and China, being so, so much in need of these resources will come in first, and they did, and the, the copper mining went, went to China. Oil and gas and natural uh, resources also significant deposits. A lot of it also has been uh, identified by the survey conducted by U.S. Geological Survey. On, on, in the issue of women's rights, uh, prime examples are two Afghan ladies that are here for us tonight from the tyranny of the Taliban. Today, just through the program, for instance, the tyrannies organized 150 Afghans have graduated both here in Afghanistan through leaders that are changing the face of the country. Afghans, women are, are involved in police force. They are in elections. They are running their very uh, new businesses, including uh, construction companies, for instance, that are very untraditional areas of work for Afghans. Microfinance is doing very well in Afghanistan. And uh, um, uh, the, in the parliament, 27% of the member of the parliament in Afghanistan are women. That's roughly twice the percentage in Washington. And on and on. So while the legal infrastructure provides for women to participate fully in the, in, the, in the political life of Afghanistan, but Afghan women do need, actually, your support, especially in the area of education and economic empowerment. Because good laws could stay in the book if, if there is no education and economic empowerment. That, that is what makes the laws uh, relevant if we invest in these areas. Um, and, a, and a prime example, as I mentioned, is Institute for Economic Empowerment of Women. Tyrannies is doing a wonderful job to, to, to help actually generate a new. And for all of you, I really encourage you to consider supporting the scholarship opportunities for Afghan we have, as I mentioned, Af private universities in Afghanistan. Uh, fortunately, some very good universities now 
but if we, if there are, still the tuition of between $1,000 to $6,000 per year is a lot for an Afghan student. If you established actually funding to, to, to support scholarship for these young girls, you are make, changing the life of them. You're providing an opportunity for a poor Afghan girl to go to a good university that otherwise may not have the opportunity to get this kind of education. Or supporting the initiatives that are being uh, run from here, and especially the uh, Peace Through Business Initiative. Uh, to conclude, eight years ago, what we had in Afghanistan is a dictatorship of Taliban. Today we have an elected president, elected parliament. We have a, a one of the progressive constitution in the region. All of these has their own challenges, no doubt. And we will continue to have these challenges, but it's a huge progress. From complete absence of women from political life, today we have 74 women elected to the Afghan parliament, just that. We have women serving, actually, as, as senators, as, 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 as ministers, as governors, as ambassadors. There's no uh, jobs, actually, uh, in Afghanistan that women have not occupied. And the GDP of Afghanistan from 2.4 billion have increased to, to uh, close to 10 billion in 2009. Uh, and, um, from complete absence of all the banking system in Afghanistan, we have 12 new independent banks, including uh, and five international banks who have opened branches in Afghanistan. And as I mentioned, school enrollment have, have, have increased in universities and others. So the country is changing. We do not hear about it all the time. We do hear about security challenges. They are part of our reality of life in Afghanistan. But as I, as I mentioned, Afghan people are very much determined to change their country. And with their rich history and culture, they are very much also grateful for the support that you are provided. That, that has not been possible in Afghanistan without your support and, 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 and um, uh, leadership. And we hope that you continue to consider helping Afghanistan an investment in peace and an investment in humanity, not necessarily just a military operation. And uh, so I thank you very much for your interest, and I would love to take your questions. Ambassador, how would you prevent what happened in Iran with its oil in Britain and allowing foreign companies, which you welcome, from monopolizing your nation's newly found minerals? Very good question. Yes, you, um, you know that there's a term that's called the mineral curse and that happens in some countries, especially in, in Africa. We are working, actually, we, what, what we did is we established new laws, the new mineral laws that was developed in close consultation with the World Bank and other international experts has provided the legal infrastructure. Our bidding and uh, our tender process would be very, very transparent. We know that unless these, these, these uh, wealth is used for the well-being of all the Afghans, it could be a source of trouble, both political and economic trouble for the, for the future of Afghanistan. That's, that's, that's an utmost priority for us, and we are seeking the investment of companies, especially from the United States and other countries. We know some of them are risk adverse, some of them may consider Afghanistan to be far away, but as much as, as I mentioned, you are investing with your blood and treasure and for safety and security of the region, investing in Afghanistan is also investing in the, in the safety and security of the world. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, I am uh, just an amateur political scientist and I read a couple of newspapers every day. And uh, respectfully, I gotta tell you that the American public 
and their support for the Afghanistan people, I think, is very strong. But I'm not so sure how we stand with your president these days, as I read in the press. It's been made pretty clear that uh, 2011 is going to be a pivotal year in terms of uh, the departure, possibly, of troops. Would you care to, what could you say diplomatically in terms, or maybe not so diplomatically, <laughs> in terms of uh, what happens in 2011 as the American public might lose interest and uh, uh, some of our resolve and start taking troops out? We are, we are very much grateful for your presence. You're welcome to be in Afghanistan as long as you desire. You have you have done a lot for Afghanistan. It's hard for us to, to pay back for what you have done, both in the term of, of sending your troops and your financial resources. We are very, 2001, we are also your partner. If you leave Afghanistan, we will be there. We will be there both to defend Afghanistan and also for you. We would like you, we would like you to consider us as your partner. We would like you to consider us as your friend. It's a difficult part of the world. You are building the capacity of the police in the army. But if you want us to be your friend and partner, treat us as friend and partner. Nobody interests to serve to have, a, to have a puppet regime in Kabul. My president is not going to be a puppet. He knows what the mindset of the Afghans are. So when he takes stands, we took strong stand, frankly as you know, on, on the civilian death. And a lot of people got upset about that. Why you're talking so much about the civilian death? So our soldier is dying too. Well, we are operating, you are operating from a very different moral stand than the terrorists. We cannot compare that. It's our job to make sure to, to protect the civilian. So a lot of people agreed with us. McChrystal and others, when they came in, said, yes, let's put a priority on protecting the life of the Afghans. It, so the mission has changed from killing the terrorists to protecting the civilian. So, in order to establish the long-lasting partnership, we have to treat your friends and your allies and your partner as such. There has been a lot of reports in the media, a lot of it unfounded, frankly. I'm in Washington, I know about allegations of, of, of corruption, for instance, in case you mentioned the president, the president brothers, for instance. I've, I've asked, as an ambassador, I'm telling you frankly, I've asked, actually, Many people in Washington, including the agency, actually the Pentagon and others, said, why don't you come, come forward with it, some evidence? Give it to me privately, I'll give it to the president, or give it privately to the president. If there is something, tell us, so we can end it. There is not. Well, nobody has come forward. And, and so, therefore, certain degree of, of, of mutual respect is required. We have, our culture, our country is about friendship and dignity, and that, that is part of the, of the way we live in, in that part of the world. As I mentioned, if you listen to the speech that the president delivered alongside with McChrystal in Kandahar, this was one of the most powerful in, in mobilizing the Afghan people to really go out and take charge yourself. We, we totally understand that, that, that your presence in Afghanistan has a limit on it, and, and, and completely, and, and what we are asking you to do is, is to build this capacity in us so we can be your friend and your partner on the long run in that, as I mentioned, difficult part. Look at Pakistan, look at Iran. There's a lot of uncertainty in this region. We need, actually, to work together for many years to come. Hopefully, all your soldiers will be able to come back home, uh, and, and hopefully we will be able to pay back what you did for us in Afghanistan and in the region. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, it is an honor 
and I had the honor of living in Afghanistan for much of 2007. Right. And uh, one of the uh, very impressive things that I witnessed while I was there was uh, nascent industry farming. I witnessed uh, some very inventive uh, farm machinery manufacturing happening in Jalalabad, some very impressive infrastructure uh, industry beginning to take place in Herat and also to a degree in Mazari Sharif. I was wondering to what degree you see that continuing to, uh, to develop, to uh, whether it's still continuing to develop, what it would take to develop it more, because one of the important things I saw about that industry was that it begins to develop the skills and the abilities of people um, while uh, the mineral resources ha are present a wonderful opportunity, they can never develop the human capital to the degree that the manufacturing can. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> yes, you're absolutely right. The, 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 the booming of the economy, especially uh, actually in, in some of the provinces, namely uh, Mazar Sharif, Balkh province, Jalalabad, at the beginning to certain degree also Kandahar is tremendous because there is less bureaucracy and people can work directly with the government to get things moving fast. But at the same time, right now actually, uh, Kabul is experiencing a boom in the real estate price in the housing. While the housing market was neglected for a long time, uh, there's a number, four or five actually right now, high-rise building uh, kind of multi-use uh, complexes, each uh, 30 to 40 stories that it has a shopping center, an office building, and, and apartments are being built, a lot of it by, 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 by private sector. The challenge uh, for, for the, uh, for the um, uh, small industry to, to, to take shape in Afghanistan in the past was um, shortage of energy, especially electricity. This has been changed, this has been remedied to a certain extent in, in certain parts of the country because it's uh, even fruits that, that, that were actually stored uh, in Afghanistan, if they have to run the, gener uh, the, 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 the uh, cold storage uh, with the generator was way too expensive. So with the availability of cheaper energy sources, there is a, there's a big boom. There's now new investment coming up in the, in the cement industry, in the marble industry. We had a, a big conference in Herata actually, trying to get more investment in the marble uh, sector in Afghanistan. All of that are, 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 are taking shape, and, and especially with mining, not only the big mining of copper and iron, there's a lot of activities in small mining, gemstones and others. That is uh, with the assistance, especially of USAID and other actually that are bringing the know-how and the skills to, to, uh, to uh, improve uh, mining for, for gemstones and precious stones. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador, for being here tonight. Um, what do you see as the future or the next steps of the peace and reconciliation process? Thank you. Um, that's a good uh, question. That the next step, we have set up a, a, a commission uh, that uh, is uh, seeking practical ways of, of uh, talking with Taliban, engaging the Taliban. On this issue, I want to talk, I want to give you a picture of who are the Taliban, actually, who is the enemy and how to engage them. The Taliban, it's, if you take them as a whole, it's, it's not a monolithic organization. That's why peace with them also has a different meaning. Engagement with them has a different meaning. We have 10% of the Taliban's are ideological Al-Qaeda affiliated leaders that, that are not reconcilable. These are criminals, they are killers, and, and they will stand against everything that that you and I will stand for in Afghanistan or anywhere. Those 10% militant must be eliminated, must be taken out. There, there is the only engagement with them is, 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 is military engagement. 30% of the Taliban are, are uh, militias who have been recruited by neighboring countries, who have been antagonized by because of lack of governance in Afghanistan or military operation by NATO or, 
or uh, bought by, by the narco-traffickers and other. Engagement with them is more financial, economical. Giving them a hope, giving them back, trying to in, bring into the political fold or others. And then 60% are, are uneducated, hopeless youth that have been recruited with the promise of, of $300 per month or paradise or something similar in order to come in and destroy Afghanistan. So the engagement here is, is, is poorly, uh, it's not political, it's give them a job, give them a hope, give, send them the message that if you come back, it's your home, it's your country, we're not gonna kill you, we're not gonna put you in jail, you don't, don't end up in Guantanamo Bay or somewhere. So that's, so the degree of the engagement differs on, on how, how ideological they are. But definitely those who are affiliated with Al-Qaeda, with international terrorist group, has no place in the future of Afghanistan. And those who have committed crimes in Afghanistan, in different parts of the country, people have a voice in Afghanistan, that voice counts and they will not allow the government to make compromises. Much of the alleged corruption can be traced to the poppy, seed, poppy farms, and the United States government has wavered back and forth about whether or not those should be eradicated. What is your government's view, and what's your own thoughts? <clears throat> Eradication is a wrong policy. We, we were against it from the beginning with, and we continue to, to think that eradication is not gonna help fighting narcotics because when you eradicate poppy fields, you push the, the, the terrorists into the hands of the bad guys. If you don't eradicate, then the money will go into the terrorists. So the way to fight narcotics is to prevent cultivation. Once it's cultivated, it's too late. You have to do whatever you can to prevent cultivation. And to prevent cultivation, you have to provide an alternative. That alternative is not necessarily an, an exotic new, new uh, plant in Afghanistan. Add value to the existing crop in Afghanistan. If, if Afghans are turning their best grapes into raisin, and we are one of the biggest exporters of the raisin in the world, that's not good news. That raisin should be turned into fresh grape juice or, or something else in the future, probably not right now. But, or pomegranate, for instance. If, if one bottle of pomegranate could sell for $8. So if we have a processing facility for pomegranates, farmers are making way more, too much, a lot of money than, than growing poppy. So to provide an alternative, instead of pushing too hard on eradication. And that alternative is adding value to the existing crop. But you're absolutely right. The, the connection between narcotics is in, in, in corruption is clear. In a small, in a country like Afghanistan, compared to, to, to Iran or Pakistan or India, these countries in the neighborhood, giving a bribe of $2 to get a signature might be normal. It might take a long time to, to, to end this. But if you, someone is paying a bribe of, of $50,000, that, that kind of money in a village that I grew in southern Afghanistan never existed. We, 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 we never seen actually $50,000 cash in, in my village when I was a child, that, that kind of money. So all of that, that really high degree corruption that's taking place, the money is coming from, from narcotics. And, 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 and there's a vested interest for, for, for narco traffickers to see that uh, lawlessness and, and a sense of, of um, irresponsibility uh, continue to, to prevail. Good evening, Mr. Ambassador. My name is Matt Picard. I'm an Afghan citizen in the United States. Um, I'm married to an American girl. Um, I just had a baby. I uh, was wondering when I could take my baby and wife to Afghanistan <laughs> for vacation, like the, my favorite city, Bamiyan, like you did. Thank you. Thank you. Well, well you, you can do this now, especially to Bamiyan. As I mentioned, I went there with my wife and my son. My son is a student at Taps University. He, had his, uh, he was off from school. Uh, so I, I took him. We had a wonderful time. Uh, there, there's a beautiful hotel. It's very peaceful. We didn't have uh, security detail or anything. We drove two, three hours every day in the different valleys in, in car. 
Uh, that is possible, but for southern Afghanistan, uh, for Kabul, life is still tough, unfortunately. And especially with a young kid, uh, dad, I would not, unless you go with me or someone that you know, I don't, I don't recommend. Uh, but uh, Northern Afghanistan, Central Afghanistan is making, tourism is making big back. I was so proud, again, these are small moments. For, I was in, in, in Bandi Amir, that's our first uh, national park. Beautiful uh, uh, green, uh, blue lake, one of the bluest lake that you can ever see. And, and I was there and, and we were there for lunch with my wife and some guy came in and said, I'm a park ranger. And they used that, that word park ranger. I said, Where do you, how do you become park ranger? And I said, USAID trained me. I said, so, these are the signs of, of, of changes that are taking place. Uh, it, it's inconceivable to, 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 to consider having a park ranger in a place like Bandi Amir, but he was, and, and he said, I was trained and I got, uh, by USAID trained us, we are a group of five, so we conduct patrol on motorcycle to make sure there's no environmental damage to the lake. So things are taking shape, things are changing in Afghanistan drastically. Thank you, Thank you Mr. Ambassador, for being here this evening. Um, Afghanistan is divided into so many different ethnic groups, uh, Tajiks, Pashtuns, uh, Uzbeks, just to name a few. Uh, what are, uh, and then within each, each of those, you have different tribes. What are the steps that your government uh, is taking to uh, unify the country as a whole? Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I've said this in the past, Afghanistan is less tribal than New York City. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, um, no, uh, diversity is a source of strength. We are diverse people in Afghanistan. Uh, there are different groups living in Afghanistan, but we consider this as part of the beauty. As I mentioned, it's a mosaic of different cultures, and, and, and it, this is the case everywhere. Even, even in Dallas, we, we have had a, a Dallas citizen who was born in Afghanistan. So that's, uh, the, the fact that Afghan people consist of different ethnic groups does not actually impact the national unity of Afghanistan. What, it, what is impact? What impacts in Afghanistan is, is today, unfortunately, southern Afghanistan, areas that are mostly inhabited by the Pashtun tribes, do actually consider, the, uh, do are uh, subject to both uh, indoctrination, infiltration, and recruitment by the, by the Taliban. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that the Pashtuns are Talibs or the Talibans are all Pashtuns. The prime victims of, of the Taliban operations are the Pashtun themselves. If, if you look at Kandahar, and uh, as I mentioned, a beautiful city, center of power, but it's one of the most insecure, one of the poorest, co comparing to some bigger cities, comparing to Iraq and Balkh and other, are much poorer than, than these cities. So um, uh, the, the sense of national unity will be strengthened when we enhance the capacity of the government to deliver services so that people do not rely on their local leader. And the reason that that the local leaders are uh, no longer what used to be in Afghanistan is because of the imposition of extremism and gun. 30 years of war and violence against the Soviets. There's a, the extremists and, and the warlords have gained a lot more influence at the price of the tra true traditional leaders. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you very much. Your Excellency. You spoke a great deal about the friendship that has existed between the United States and Afghanistan. And on behalf of Mayor Leppert, the city council, and your many friends here in the city of Dallas, this is a candle. It's called the 100-year candle from Neiman Marcus. And so may it always be a light for another 100 years to represent the friendship between our countries. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very sir. much. Thank you, Thank you. 
For more information about the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth, visit them on the web at www.dfwworld.org.